justice approached the bench where I stood condemned and declared me unworthy to be justified I raised the judge alone no merit of my own but then I heard a voice testify and then
We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is our only hope, and he is the sole reason we are here today, and that is to gather and worship and give him praise and glory. We want to welcome you here to the service today. If you are visiting with us, we would encourage you to do a couple things. Uh, one, before you leave, we would love to meet you as a staff. We usually hang out here at the front. We would love to uh, introduce ourselves and find out who you are, how we can serve you. We also encourage you to stop by our guest table in the lobby and pick up a guest bag. And we'd also encourage you to fill out the care card or the guest card there at the guest table. Um, we would love to have a record of your visit. That care card's in your bulletin. And uh, we also want to remind our congregation, anybody that's here, if you have a prayer need, we don't always highlight this, but take advantage of the care card. Please drop that in the plates at the back table. Uh, we'd like to know how we can pray for you or any needs that you have as a church member. Um, please take advantage of that. Um, and while we're talking about the bulletin, we don't always do this, and sometimes I think we take this for granted, and we don't always look at it, but call your attention to the bulletin, and we always have important announcements in there. One we want to highlight is our women on mission. They'll be collecting uh, canned goods and other non-perishable items for the Baptist Children's Home. You see the bins that are located out in the lobby. Um, there's also one at the elevator lobby there um, on the main entrance at the cover drop-off, but um, that's going through the month of April, and you can see the details of what they need there. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to stand as we prepare our hearts for worship. Take a second, say hello to your neighbor, greet them, and then let's worship the Lord.
Amen. Aren't you glad to be forgiven? I want to invite you this morning to come and join me in prayer. And I was looking at the bulletin, and I was looking at the names of families who've lost loved ones this past week. You know, yesterday was two years when my mom passed away. And I, and I was talking to someone at the wedding, and, and I know what that's like. And some of us know what that's like. And sometimes we just need to be come forward and say, you know, God, I thank you for a life well lived. I thank you for my loved one who's in heaven. I thank you for the times and the memories we had. You know, there's so many things that we need to be grateful for. Because one day, we'll see them again. One day's coming sooner than we think. So I want to invite you this morning to come and pray. Pick out somebody in the bulletin to pray for. I want to invite you to come now and join me in prayer. Would you come? Thank you. join me in prayer Lord you're here thank you for your presence thank you Lord God that we don't walk alone that you live within us and your Holy Spirit walks with us through life you teach us how to pray you teach us how to love and to walk in life and Lord we want to thank you for that we want to thank you for those in our families who taught us how to know you. They have, Lord, come along beside of us and prayed for us for years. And we want to thank you. We want to thank you for the memories of others today, this morning. And we want to be grateful for one day we'll be with you. And we'll be with our loved one who's gone on before us. And Father, we're so grateful that we have eternal life and we have a hope to share with a world that does not know you. And Father, this morning we are grateful for who you are in our lives. We just want to stop and thank you. We want to stop and say we love you because you first loved us. And Father, this morning we want to pray as we approach you this morning in the Lord's Supper that our hearts would be right with you and others. That you might be pleased in how we walk with you. And Father, we celebrate heaven this morning. And Father, we pray for those people who are suffering again in Ukraine and those who are fleeing for their very lives. We pray, Father, as other countries are reaching out to help, that the gospel would be shared and people would come to faith in Christ. And Father, would you bless the rest of this time of service? And may we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, may we find great joy and great peace and comfort in the one who loves us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, choir. Wonderful singing. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've been going through a series called Questions and Answers. And today we're going to be talking about why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as the choir is going down, I just want to mention that next Sunday, of course, is Easter. We're on a regular schedule. Uh, we will, at the end of the service that Sunday, open up the um, uh, church for membership. If you've been through Class 101 uh, and you can join that Sunday, please contact Mark or Mark will contact you this week so we can be ready for you to join. Um, I also want to mention that today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, obviously, so when I'm done preaching, we're going to give us a short time of invitation uh, where you stay in your seat. Uh, we'll have some soft music. We'll give you a time to contemplate what's about to happen, of course, because this is a serious, reverent moment when you take part in the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to read this and explain this here in just a moment. Uh, and also we'd ask that once we start into the Lord's Supper, you will be served by our deacons. I really appreciate uh, their service here and their leadership here, but they will serve you. And then, um, so we're going to ask you not to be getting up moving around during that time, okay? If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. Paul says this, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So what Paul is kind of rebuking the church about is your attitude toward the Lord's Supper at this moment is really bad from what I've heard. Back in Paul's day, they would probably be meeting in a house. And back in Paul's day, like in our day, you had people that were more affluent, and you may even have slaves that were working uh, in Corinth, okay? But they, became, they came to know Christ, and then in Christ, we're all one, right? That's why we give a brick when we join. I'm no better than anybody else. You're no better than me. Regardless of your education, or your race, or your upbringing, or how much money you make, it does not matter. We're one in Christ, amen? Okay, so when they would come together in Corinth, because of these things, you had these divisions. You may have the rich people eating here and the poor people eating here. And you, you had people that could bring food and you had people that didn't. They would have love feasts and at the end of the love feast, they would have the Lord's Supper. That's what he's saying. He says, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. Okay, don't come drunk, take the Lord's Supper and don't drink during the Lord's Supper. Amen. It's a pretty good, pretty good rule to have. That's what Paul's telling them. What, he says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, excuse me, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Then he goes on to explain why. Notice what he says, for I received from the Lord. This is what Paul's saying. I didn't get this from a book. I didn't get this from seminary. I didn't get this from some person. I didn't make this up, he's saying. I received this from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you. It's not new to them. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning what you're doing is you're proclaiming something this morning. 
And we're going to look at three of these proclamations that every time we meet together as a church, which it should be done that way for the most part. I understand if someone's in a hospital or is shut in or let's say you're, uh, you, you have an illness and you can't come to church for an extended period of time, of course we can come and bring the Lord's Supper to you. For the most part, it should be as a church, in my opinion. Meeting together as a church, it unites the church. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then he goes on to say this, Therefore, because of that, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And that's what we're going to do at the end of this message. We're going to give you time to examine yourself. Okay? And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And what Paul is saying is after this self-examination between you and the Holy Spirit, okay, then eat and drink. Don't come here in an unworthy manner and take this. He says, For whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. And what Paul is saying in that context is, you come and take the Lord's Supper. Some of you turn it into a potluck meal. Some of you judge your brothers and sisters in the same house or the same church. Okay, You think you're better than them. And then you want to take this and say, I'm proclaiming the Lord's death. Don't do it. That's what he says. Now apply that to your life, okay? He's not asking for anybody to be perfect. We stand perfect in Christ's righteousness. None of us are perfect. But this should be the, this should be the one time especially, okay, that you repent. And that's a good thing. All of God's blessings in your life come through the funnel of repentance. I repent a lot. That's my life, okay? We should repent. There's, that's not a bad word. That's a good word. That means you're human and you have a relationship with Jesus. So you should be repenting this morning before you take of the bread and drink of the cup. And this bread symbolizes the Lord's body. And we're going to talk about that briefly. And then this cup represents his precious blood. Peter said, you are not bought with silver and gold. You are not. But you were pur purchased with the precious blood of a lamb who was without spot or blemish. This is a reverent time for us this morning. And in, in the early church, I think... If you read Acts 20, verse 7, it gives the idea that every Lord's Day, every Sunday that they came together, they, did, they took the Lord's Supper. And what does the Lord's Supper mean to us? It is an ordinance here. We have two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and they're mere symbols of what has already taken place. Some churches see these as sacraments. If you don't take the Lord's Supper, you don't go to heaven. That Jesus' actual body and pr body is here in the bread. Now, I don't know where we got these cups but we didn't get them from heaven, okay? And when we used to do wafers, we bought them from Lifeway. Now, we see these as mere symbols, not sacraments of anything. Sacraments means to save. Just as baptism is a picture of your, your life and death before you were saved, to, to the new man when you come up out of the water, this is a picture of the, the, the body and the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, and that's why we take part in it. And what, what a Jewish person would do, think about this, a Jewish person or even a Gentile person, when they took the bread, they're saying, I proclaim that Jesus' death was for me. That's what they were saying. I proclaim to everybody here that his death was for me, and I acknowledge his sacrifice. He died a vicarious death and an atoning death, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Then when they took the cup, I cannot be saved without the shedding of blood. Can't do it. As a matter of fact, my only hope is the blood of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I stand perfectly holy before God because I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness because of His blood. 
That's the proclamation you're making. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is this. Whenever we take the Lord's Supper, what we're basically doing is proclaiming the sacrifice that Jesus made. We're proclaiming the sacrifice that Jesus made. Notice verse 23, Paul says, he's, he made this statement, For I received from the Lord that what I also, or what I also delivered to you. And what he's basically saying is this, This came from Jesus, it didn't come from me. Who instituted the Lord's Supper? Jesus did. When did he institute it? Verse 23 on down tells us on the night that he was betrayed. So in the atmosphere of treachery, on the atmosphere of suffering, Jesus Christ gave a simple picture with bread and a cup. Think about the purpose of the bread. The Bible says that Jesus took bread. One person, one scholar says this, it was probably one loaf. Verse 24 says Jesus gave thanks. And it's by Christ's example that we offer thanks before we eat any meal. This is the nature of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist because it is a thanksgiving feast. The Lord's Supper is a time of grateful praise. It should be like a wedding reception, not a funeral meal. As the host, Jesus broke the bread and then Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you. These are the first record, this is the first recorded statement of Jesus. It affirms his incarnation. The Son of God had, had to have a body that he might die. This statement also affirms the substitutionary atonement of Christ. He gave his body for you. So when you take this little wafer that we have in this cup, you're saying Jesus' body was broken for me. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ. It had to be broken. When, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All his uh, listeners understood that Jesus was putting himself in the place of the Passover lamb. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 24. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. He himself bore our sins. Notice the word our. That's yours. Okay. In his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And that means healed spiritually. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says. I'm reading now the New Living Translation. You're going to see one verse up there. But listen to this amazing section of scripture. The writer of Hebrews says the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. All the ceremonial laws, dietary laws are not for us. They're just a shadow, shadow pointing to Jesus. A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. He says just a shadow. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all, all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. He says, you're constantly killing goats, bulls. You're constantly killing them. Lambs, you're constantly killing them to, to get a propitiation for your sins. He says, but instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, he says. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, listen to what he said. Jesus says, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. No more sacrifices are made. Jesus' sacrifice was enough, and that is his body. Isaiah 53 says this, There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, talking about Jesus, 
Nothing to attract us to Him. So the things that we often find attractive in a person, Jesus didn't have those as far as looks go. People were attracted to who He was and who His message was. Isaiah goes on to say, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on Him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. But He was, notice this, wounded in His body for our transgressions. He was bruised in His body for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, His body. And by His stripes in His body, we are healed spiritually. His body. And then Isaiah goes on to say this, prophesying about the Messiah to come. And the Lord has laid on His body the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. So when you hold that wafer, that is a picture of the body of Jesus Christ, which was beaten, it was broken. His bones weren't broken, but His body was. He was crucified, and also the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And then you come to the cup. The cup represents the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9, I'll read this again. The Bible says this in Hebrews 9, the chapter before the chapter that I read, before the chapter I read before, it says, Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. That's an amazing statement. Under the old system, or the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity for a year. And then he goes on to say, just think how much more the blood of Christ would purify our consciousness from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that he has committed under the first covenant. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year and year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, He has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by His own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people he will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await for Him and for His return. When you take the cup, you can be thankful that you do not have to kill a goat or an animal for your sins year after year after year after year. Jesus Christ is our high priest who gave His life for us. He shed His blood for us. The Lord's Supper also proclaims the cross of Christ. Paul said this, in eating or participating in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim that the Lord died. That is the importance of preaching the cross. H.B. Charles said this, in the Old Covenant, God gave His law to sinners. In the New Covenant, God gave His Son for sinners. 
The old covenant was based on the behavior of Israel. When they obeyed, God blessed them. When they disobeyed, God punished them. The new covenant is based on Christ's blood. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace. Verse 25 says this, Do, not, do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, the purpose of the Lord's Supper never changes. Do this in remembrance of me. The Passover meal celebrated how the Lord redeemed the children of Israel from the bondage of slavery. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper so that we could remember how we're redeemed from the bondage of sin. We are re redeemed from the bondage of sin. And Paul says this, every time we take of the bread and the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. Paul speaks to the importance of the cross, preaching the cross when he wrote to the church at Corinth in the first chapter or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this, And brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Think about Paul's simple preaching. One of the most smartest men to ever live. He had the equivalent of two PhDs by the time he was 21. And he says, When I come to Corinth, who, who values their speakers on how well they orate, not so much what they say, but how they say it, Paul says, I didn't come that way. I just preached Christ and Him crucified. Christ and Him crucified. And Paul would go on to say this, to the Jews it's a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles it's just utter foolishness. But I preached it anyway. See, the Lord's Supper presents to us that Christ died. And you think about the cross. It was a place of suffering. In uh, Luke's Gospel and in Matthew's Gospel and John's Gospel, it says this about Jesus. And then they crucified Him. That was it. Why didn't they go into explanation? Because everybody knew what a crucifixion was. One scholar put it this way, crucifixion was one of the cruelest methods of execution that has ever been devised. Central to its cruelty was the fact that crucifixion delayed death, allowing for the victim to suffer in great agony. Crucifixion was a political tool meant to terrorize people, so the execution was public, prolonged, and humiliating. Jesus died nude in front of his mama with people making fun of him. Now think about the, how horrific it is to, do, to, to die publicly anyway it would be, but to be there with your family and friends and there you are with people jeering you and making fun of you and mocking you, that just adds to it. He says the prisoner was stripped naked and hung in a high traffic area, but the suffering that caused Jesus to suffer the most was not physical, but spiritual. He bore our sins on himself. That's what makes this so amazing. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and Kevin already read it. He says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Why? To propitiate God's wrath. Romans 5, 9 says, We are saved from God's wrath through Jesus. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word propitiate means the turning away, turning away the outpouring of God's wrath on Jesus instead of on us. See, it wasn't just being crucified physically that hurt Jesus. It was bearing our sins on, his, on himself and taking God's wrath for us. R.C. Sproul put it this way, How can I be reconciled to God? How can I escape the judgment of God? If anything has been lost from our culture, it's the idea that human beings are privately, personally, individually, ultimately, inevitably accountable to God for their lives. But Jesus died in our place. Think about this. One day you'll stand before the Lord and give an account of your life. You can't pay your sin debt. It's impossible. 
But God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when you take the, the bread today or the, or the wafer and you drink the juice that we have here, what you're saying is that somebody else died in my place. Christ's death was substitutionary, which means he died in my place. It was vicarious, meaning he was not at fault. He did it for someone else. That's an amazing thought. That you're guilty before God, you can't pay your sin debt, but Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place. So when you take the Lord's Supper, you proclaim the crucifixion of Christ. And not only that, but when you take the Lord's Supper, it proclaims the coming of Christ. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Until He comes. So not only are you proclaiming that, that Jesus made a great sacrifice in our place, not only are you proclaiming that, that Jesus was crucified in our place, but you're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is coming back. And realistically, a Jewish person or a Gentile person in those days would take that bread in front of the church, basically, and they would make this proclamation, I'm born again today because of Jesus. I'm forgiven today because of Jesus. I'm saved today because of Jesus. And that Jesus Christ is coming back, and I'm proclaiming to you today that I'm a Christian, and I'm following Jesus. And the only reason that I'm going to heaven is because of Jesus. Friends, you're not good enough you don't have enough good deeds to pay your sin debt. It's impossible. God says even your good works are like filthy rags. But someone died in your place. That's an amazing thought to me. That's why I never take the Lord's Supper lightly, ever. Never apathetic toward it. I'm apathetic toward a lot of things, but not this. Not me. I know who I was. I knew, I knew, I knew who I would be today. I think Wednesday night when I was preaching, I told our Bible study, where would you be right now? Think about the day you got saved. Somebody's been saved 40, 50 years. Somebody's been saved longer than I've been born. Okay. Where would you be had Jesus not saved you? Think about it. Where would your marriage be had Jesus not saved you? Where would you be? And you didn't save yourself. God saved you. When I take this, this wafer and drink this cup, what I'm saying is I was a wretch and deserved hell, and for whatever reason in his grace, God saved me. I didn't just wake up one morning and decide to get saved. God saved me. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? And then the final thing is this. When you take the Lord's Supper, and listen to me dearly here, please, you proclaim the Lord's holiness. Paul said, do, you can do a lot of things in church and go home and sleep well, but you best not be living like a pagan and not repent and take this. Better just to let it go on by you. See, somebody's going to stand before you like this today. It's kind of personal. It's okay to say no. And if you're a Christian, you're not welcome because you're not born again. You can't proclaim anything unless you give your life to Jesus. Okay? If you pray during this invitation time and ask the Lord to save you, you're very welcome. This is for born-again people to take the Lord's Supper. Paul said this, and he was very blunt with the church at Corinth. He said this, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's between you and Jesus. That's between you and Him. And I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and they're going to play real quietly. And I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, or, or you may want to read verses 27 through 30. Because when you take this wafer and you drink this cup, 
you're proclaiming the Lord's holiness. And you're acknowledging that, Lord, I, there's, I have no hope apart from you. And you're also acknowledging that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So in the quietness of this moment, this invitation time is between you and the Lord. If you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness, then ask him. And confess whatever it is to him in the quietness of this moment. It's just between you and him. You don't have to tell anybody else, but just tell the Lord. And the Bible says to repent. Repentance can be a daily thing. Nothing wrong with that. Just be honest. If you're going to be honest in church, be as honest now as you ever have been. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I encourage you to call upon the name of the Lord now. There's no special prayer. God knows your heart. You know your condition and ask the Lord to save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we, we recognize, Lord, that this is a holy moment. Lord, as we take this bread and we take this cup, and Father, I pray that we bring honor and glory to your name as we proclaim your sacrifice, your crucifixion, and Lord, your soon return. And Lord, help us remember that, Lord, we have great news to share with the lost and dying world. That Jesus Christ died in our place. He bore our sins and God's wrath on the cross and that he rose from the dead the third day. And Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for our salvation that we couldn't obtain ourselves. Thank you for paying a debt that, Lord, we can never, ever pay. And Father, thank you for cleansing our guilty conscience and giving us hope far beyond this life. And we'll forever thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people say together. Amen. Well, we're coming now to this time of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask Kevin to come up here. He's going to help me serve. And I've already mentioned that we have two elements this morning. We have, we're going to have a container, and on the top is the wafer, and you'll turn it over when it comes time to take the juice. And then you can take that lid off and, and uh, drink the juice whenever I give you direction. But before each one, we're going to have a prayer. Chris will pray first for the wafer, and then Kevin's going to pray or the, uh, the juice.
little container here we have the uh, wafer which represents the blood of Jesus 
I mean the body of Jesus. I'm getting mine out of here. And I'm going to ask Chris Russell, if he will, our uh, Vice Chairman of Deacons, if he will, to pray and thank God for the body of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this day, God, the opportunity to be a part of this. Our God, we're so thankful for the sacrifice of your body, Lord, what it means, what it represents. God, we're thankful this morning that the veil is torn, and Father, that you hear our prayer. Father, we're so privileged to be able to take part in this today, and we thank you once again for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. And the Bible says this, and I'll repeat the verses I've already read in my sermon. It says, and when he had given... When he had given, taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they ate together. And the next element we have is the cup, and it's the picture of the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to ask Kevin to thank God for the blood of Christ. Father, we thank you for sending your son. Jesus shed your precious blood without spot or blemish. But Lord, it is without that blood that we can have forgiveness. We thank you for our redemption. It's purchased by your purchased perfect blood. And thank you for shedding that for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says this, and in the same way, he took the cup and after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, and then they drank together. That last Passover meal, when the Lord instituted uh, the Lord's Supper, the Bible says that they sang a hymn together, so I'm going to ask you to stand with us. And Sharon's going to lead us in the first and last verse of Amazing Grace, and then you can dismiss yourselves. Thank you very much. <laughs> 